We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Joe Thomas is in the Hall of Fame. We have all the coverage from Hall of Fame weekend, including thoughts on his speech and where Joe's going in his post-football career, along with every piece of analysis you could possibly need for your Cleveland Browns from their Thursday night Hall of Fame game win over the New York Jets. All of that and more with Andrew Spade coming up from the OBR Film Breakdown. All right, we react to the Hall of Fame. We'll call it the weekend, Andrew. So we have, you know, we have not only the game Thursday, we have all of the ceremonial things Friday. Joe gets his jacket, and then we listen to all of the speeches uh, today. And and I think that there's a couple things that come to mind. First is that Chris Berman might want to be careful leaving Canton um, because he threw every single Browns punchline he could possibly throw in there. Yeah. I thought the first few were kind of funny, and then the, the next few were like, "All right, man, get the point here. Uh, maybe, maybe don't, maybe don't say another one." And he kind of kept going. But uh, the other one, I thought, uh, you know, just speeches that were cool, like Rondé Barber's, I thought was really neat, especially his twin getting to see. But I, I kind of left thinking, Andrew, Joe Thomas is really good at this stuff, and we know that, like we know it. But it's kind of striking on a national stage when you catch him, and I think that his his broadcasting or whatever media, like he could strayhand this stuff where he could i I feel like he could be in the realm of michael strahan with being in some sort of public facing beyond football realm i don't know if he wants that that's a lot i mean yeah that's that's just a lot you know i think we've seen who else uh recently just um the wide receiver i'm losing burleson Burleson, yeah took it took it beyond football i think joe's got the ability to do that would you agree with that i would yeah he's got that uh quick on his feet thing you know where he he kind of has a quip ready or a you know a, a joke ready at, at any time and yeah he doesn't ever seem awed by the moment you know he, he really uh even the speech itself like he wasn't on his notes at all he wasn't you know he was he had most of that thing memorized so yeah no I, he's a he's a pro and i think it really comes back to a lot of what he talked about for what made him a good nfl player you know uh and a good offensive lineman that makes him really good at broadcasting too because i think he's a perfectionist and so you know, if he does something wrong, he's the next time he's, he's not going to make the same mistake. I think it's as simple as that. And so, you know, you can contrast that with the, 
you know, for example, myself, where the what two pods mm-hmm. ago I didn't have my cords plugged in right, and I sounded like Bane for an episode of, of this <laughs> podcast. So, you know, it's it's uh, I'm you know bold of me to compare myself to Joe Thomas, but you see in those little details, right? You see the differences between uh, you know us at this level and and the greatness that is Joe Thomas. So, no, I agree with you, and I mean, I you saw you said on Twitter like, when's he going to run for office? I think that is like a legitimate thing too, you know, like he, if he wanted to, I don't know if he has any aspirations that way, but yeah, his charisma is off the charts, man. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think the, the kids could... call that Riz these days, right? Is that, <laughs> if I heard that right, Andrew, it's uh, you are Riz. asking absolutely the wrong person. Yeah. You, you, you have got the wrong guest if we're going to do, uh, what the kids are saying. Uh, yeah, yeah no, I, I mean, I, the, my big takeaway from the whole thing was just how, you know, Joe Thomas, more than any other Browns player that I've that I've seen in my lifetime. You know, I, I was alive for some of those 80s teams, but it wasn't really impressing on me. Um, any other more than any other player that, that I've seen play. Explains, you know, the, the two different ways in which sports work for us, right? Like there's there's the part where you just go into the game wanting your team to win and you don't care how it happens, right? And then there's the part of you that understands that sports is important to us because it's about a lot more than just who wins or loses an individual game. And Joe Thomas embodies that part of sports for me more than anybody else that, you know, maybe more than any other athlete, right? Because the, the, for him to have the sense of, of humor and, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the other word, the sense of, of the groundedness to understand that, That he can still be one of the greatest players of all time, while at the same time being on a, a you know, one of one of the worst franchise runs from 07 to 17 when he retired was one of the worst runs of a franchise in NFL history, and and at the same time is one of the best careers in NFL history, and so that gap is entirely explained by what makes sports great, right? That individuals can persevere and and do great things even in the face of great adversity, and and that's you know, the lessons that he was talking about are the lessons that make us love sports beyond just whether or not our team is winning or losing. And that's why we're still here talking about the Browns long after they should have been completely irrelevant based on their performance on the field. Yeah. First, that's very well said. I have to mention that the, the, the way those juxtapose, like the, all of it, I mean, the people want to think that you have to be solely, your performance is solely you know, valued based on whether your team wins. And in a sport that has 22 guys on the field at any given moment, it's, it's just asinine approach right. to the way football is done in general. Right. So yeah. it's a huge part of the Justin Herbert and I not, not to get mm-hmm. off the rails, but like that conversation Great this point. off season, I keep hearing it come up again and again, you can't control half the game basketball. You can, which makes that sport unique. Baseball is like football in a sense where you can only control certain aspects of the game. And, for people to sort of hone in on your win loss as mm-hmm. the angle. It's just not yeah. fair. And I, to your point, it's so neat to see Joe rise, rise above that, but also own it. You know, he yes. said like, right. He ended my career on a one in 31 heater. Like right. just, he's, he's so yeah. self-deprecating in that exactly. way. And he's, right. he's great. I, and not many people can own it the way he did. And, yeah. and just, he keeps rolling with, but you, to your point, like he, he's sitting there practicing his speech, mm-hmm. looking at papers and look at him once he just right. rolls through it with, unbelievable charisma about him and yeah. yeah like if he wants to take it to whether that's mainstream news or whatever the stepping stones to get there 
like he has that ability or, or, you know, like I said, hell, if that guy wanted to run for office, I'm pretty sure he could rally a significant amount of people uh, behind his cause. So, you know, kudos to Joe Thomas. We at the OBR did a a round table with our favorite memory of Joe Thomas. And I'll let you share yours, Andrew, but mine just really quickly was like, like to your point about, you know, remembering things. I was sort of, as Joe Thomas was drafted, I was a senior in high school. You know, I'm paying attention to the Browns. I'm a fan. I'm watching the games as I'm going through college, getting out of college, doing other things. You know, I didn't really step into committing my time to watching, digesting, and, and, and evaluating the Browns until the year, ironically, that he tears that, that tri- I think he tore his triceps, right? Yep. Am, I, am I remembering that correctly? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's when he was gone. And it was so unfortunate to not really get to do this and watch him in that capacity because we all knew Joe Thomas was great. But if you're not committed to breaking down, analyzing, studying, you're probably missing a lot of those nuances every single Sunday. So it always kind of was really sad to me. But when I remember 17, I just remember thinking, like, is this his stance all the time? Because it was so unique. He had this this pass blocking stance. So this is, you know, as you know, most offensive tackles are in two point stances when they're pretty much going to be in any predictable pass scenario. The NFL kind of just chucks it out the window. Now you can you can break tendency off of that and still run the football, but two point stance for tackles and they Joe had this like left foot back. He had this this his back almost flat with his head down and it's like I don't understand how this guy did it, but but he was able to to do this unique blend of threatening people to say, okay, you want to win and run past me. I'm going to look like I can't, but I'm going to be there every time. And then when you get really frustrated because you can't win on the high side against me when you think you should, I'm going to be able to anchor against every bull rush or inside move that you try to present. And it was really cool when I was, when I was really diving into it before he got hurt, just watching him wear down the mental psyche of who he was playing against because they were an absolute non-factor so often. And, you know, Joe has done many great things. The snap count number stuff is unbelievably fantastic and all of it. And it's just, how do you boil that down to one thing? Well, I think if you were to say, you know, there's this thought process around the, the, like logos, the NBA is a player logo, Jerry West. And there've been many people who talk about that. If the offensive line did a logo for like what their guy is or what their stance is, or the the O-line masterminds that they do, uh, every year, the collective groups get to, they get together and, and work out and all this stuff. He would should be the logo, like he is the mm-hmm. template for this stuff. So, um, you know, to have been in that group of five guys, to have the only guys to be in ten consecutive Pro Bowls to start your career, it is it is just it's really neat, man. The Browns, like, like I said, haven't had an enshrinement since two thousand seven. Who knows? We think there are some guys who could, Miles, yep. Nick, yep. could yep. someday, but you never. These things are not guaranteed. And it was neat to see the Cleveland uh, people show up and show out and be there, and it just to be a really cool moment uh, mm-hmm. all together, which is which is uh, which is what you hope for. And I hope it was everything that Joe hoped for, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 didn't get a chance to to kind of be you know uh, part of a, a playoff team or a you know even many winning teams for that matter, uh, you know. And and you hope that this is in some way you know still validation of of what he did because it, it you know this is the the highest honor you can receive as an individual nfl player so you know i i'm sure there's a level of disappointment that you never get to play in a, a playoff or win a super bowl but uh certainly you know from another perspective this is this is a greater accomplishment if you, you know there's there's a lot more super bowl rings than there are hall of fame jackets right so uh looking at it from that perspective uh yeah my on on that round table my memory is i was at that game in in 2014 uh 
when the Browns beat up the Steelers, uh, the Kyle Shanahan year, uh, is mm-hmm. how I think of it. Uh, or the Brian Hoyer year, I guess you could take your pick. Uh, but that was like early October. It was a beautiful day by the lakeshore. And, um, I had a real bad streak going into that game of going to Browns games and watching them get absolutely just destroyed. And, uh, often by the Steelers, I have some, some unpleasant memories of being in that stadium and being, you know, watching true blowouts. Uh, this one was the opposite. You know, the Browns kind of controlled that game against the Steelers. I mean, it was it was competitive early, but they ran away with it in the second half, literally. And uh, you know, I wrote I wrote in that piece today. You know, they ran the ball for, I think for 186 yards against a Steelers front that had Cam Hayward and James Harrison and uh, Stephon Tuitt was young at that point, but was there. And um, I, I know I'm forgetting a few other guys. Like it was a loaded front. And they ran the ball really effectively with Ben Tate and uh, Isaiah Crowell, right? They, but they got whatever they wanted. I think mean, Brian Hoyer completed eight passes, and they won the game 31 or 34 to 10. So, I'm looking at it. Yeah, 31-10. That has to be one of the bigger regular season yeah. win differences yeah. there ever. I mean, yeah. since the return, I, yes. I would imagine. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a unique line. You're right. Yeah. He only had eight completions for Hoyer for 217. Yeah, ran for 78 and Crowell mm -hmm. 77. That's an efficient day. It was, yes, it was an incredible performance. And it, it, that was also the game where Alex Mack broke his leg. So there was that downside. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then that's also the game where at the end they were blowing him out. So some, somebody on the sidelines told, I think his name was Vincent Painter to go in and fill in for Joe Thomas. And he, uh, cussed him out and sent him back to the sidelines because he's got that snap streak going at that point. You know, at that point, he's seven years into his career, so it's you know it's yeah. it's a pretty healthy streak. So, uh, so I remember that you know because I got to watch the Browns kick the shit out of the Steelers in Cleveland for the first time with my dad. You know, got a picture in front of the scoreboard with the score. You know, like you know, I, I know that that was in the midst of or right before a really, really, really bad stretch for the Browns. But uh, you know, it's again to to the point about what matters in football. You know, obviously it matters that the Browns were good that year and then fell apart and then were terrible for a half decade. But it also matters that, uh, that the, um, that the individual this is an animal games, friendly show. Yeah. We're, the cat we're wants to talk. He's got some Joe Thomas memories of his own. Uh, it, it also matters that those individual moments still matter is what I'm trying to say. Uh, when, when yeah. not being interrupted by the cat, those, even though they didn't make the playoffs that year, they were not a super bowl. I think often, Jake, we boil this down to who's going to end up with the trophy. And like right now in early August, it's still like odds on that it's going to be Patrick Mahomes, right? Like, And so there starts to be a little bit of like, well, what are we doing? Like, what's the point? But the point is, is that if the Browns play really well this season and have a half dozen games that are etched in your memory, that's worth it, even if they don't hoist the trophy. Obviously, that's what we want, but sports can't just be about who holds the trophy because you're going home unhappy most years. It's a moments thing, man. Yeah. It's a moments thing. And and that we were robbed all those years of really bad play. We were robbed of moments that other, that's the thing that's, you know, with sports and kind of Joe's career is, is unfair is that yes, sports isn't the same from, from one place to the next. You don't get this. You're not promised the same moments. I mean, imagine like chiefs fans are so spoiled and the Patriots mm -hmm. fans for so long were mm -hmm. so spoiled. And even, Pittsburgh fan like these places yep. have been so spoiled they don't it challenges you man because you're just you just want to have the same fun they're having and I know 
for a fact, Joe Thomas told that story this past week about Peyton Manning calling him and telling him essentially yes. to deprecate, uh, to, to sorry, defecate on the table of the, uh, I don't remember who the GM at the time was to uh, the only yeah. way to force himself out of Cleveland to, right. uh, to come to, 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 to Denver. But that was like a different, cause Joe would have won a ring. I mean, like, yes. And, and I don't, yeah. you know, I wonder if you ask him if he would have, if he could do it over again, if he would do that or not. And I get the vibe that he was content with not doing it with mm-hmm. not, you know, not being traded in those moments. And again, it's about, it's a, it's just about moments and, and you don't, you know, we haven't had any of them. We're hopeful. I mean, even Joe was in the speech yeah. that brighter days are coming and he can't wait to watch them. And, you know, we're doing this still because we do think like, if you told me, like if someone came up to me and said, Hey man, the next 10 years are going to be like the last 10 years, I'd just walk away from this, but I am hopeful. <laughs> like I am, I am hopeful that they are going to get better. You yeah. know, I think that we, yeah. you have to be, I think mm-hmm. that's why we keep coming back as, oh, for sure. as, as people who do this, as um you know we we again most of us who do this unless you chase a journalism degree and then you chased jobs across the country we're doing this because we enjoyed the browns at first i mean the obr is a fan based site now we try to remove all of the passionate browns stuff that we have and do it from a neutral standpoint but if i wasn't a fan of the browns i wouldn't have stumbled into waiting for next year and then getting to the next place before the obr like it all interconnects it all weaves together that's what made watching that 2020 playoff game you know i can remember where i was and crying my parents are crying and like it's because we've been we've been robbed of those moments and when you get one that's what makes it really really special and even if it's just a week five pits win over pittsburgh you know you'll always remember taking that picture with your dad because that stuff it's just it just matters because you you know the moments in kansas city are different than the moments that we have in cleveland but we still get to appreciate them at the end no matter what Right. So that's right. Um, hopefully those moments get a little bit uh, more fun and there's a chance, right? They've done a nice job and there's a chance that sure. they could get more fun. So listen, um, as big a th- uh, thank you to Joe Thomas as the OBR can possibly give him. 100%. Um, and it was a joy to watch that guy play. And it's going to be a joy to get to watch him do whatever it is, whatever the hell he wants to do for the next 25, 30 years in, in covering this sport or covering beyond it. Like we mentioned earlier, he will be a successful um you know, successful, whatever field he chooses, because that's just who he is. So Joe Thomas, congratulations. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back from the break and talk a little bit about that hall of fame game from the other night. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So if you missed, we did an OBR recap following the game. And again, that's just so right then and there, right? Like it's just, it's very raw. And that's something that I want to remind folks who listen to this, who are maybe sort of committed to what we do with Twitch and stuff. We are shifting our angle on this. We are going to do, um, we're not going to do pregame shows this year, uh, largely scheduling conflicts and keeping everybody fresh for content throughout a long week and a long season. We are going to do game day shows, but we're going to do a game day recap, almost calling it a game day rewind. If it's not a primetime game, it's going to be removed from that in the evening. So the Browns play a lot of one o'clock games. We're going to be doing those at a 730 time slot just to get everybody to step away from the raw emotion of the game and then do what I think we do best and unique to many places in this Cleveland market, which is analyze it through through the lens of 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 removing the fan cap, right? We all get very you know, hot and, and, and bothered by whatever it is the Browns do, good or bad. And I think sometimes you want to step back, take a break, and then revisit the thoughts of the game. So we're going to do that this year. Now, like I said, if it's a night game like we saw at the Hall of Fame game, the Browns play a couple uh, a couple primetime games, potentially more by the end of the season if they're as competent as many are hoping that they will be. Uh, I think we have an early one there with Pittsburgh on the road week two that they'll play on Monday night football. So yeah, like those will be right after. We're not going to wait until 4 a.m. to do that one. That'd be a little silly for the sake of everybody's time. So we will do those right after. Otherwise, just want to make sure you're aware uh, that we'll shoot for 730 on those other ones. So this one, like I said, uh, the schedule for this podcast will be those deep in-depth analysis uh, podcasts that go into the all 22 breakdown of the offense, the all 22 breakdown of the defense. The next day I will be doing those. But we didn't get the chance with the Thursday into the weekend setup here. So I want to kind of just go through it quickly. We're not going to like, I'm not going to, I'll just tell you some of the things I've dug up from the numbers, but you'll get your usual number stuff that you really care about. Uh, if, you, if you're inclined to, to sort of want those things, you'll always get those. We have three preseason games that I will be able to do that for. So uh, check in on those. So I want to go through the raw stats, Andrew. So the Browns actually ended up dominating the stats after that 13 uh, nothing know, situation early in the game where it kind of felt like, Midway through the second quarter, this is not going to be fun at all, right? Like, not going to be fun at all. The Browns turned it on and dominated. They actually had 23 first down to the Jets' nine, which is really great. The Jets were 2 of 12 on third down. The Browns are 7 of 13. Um, 188 yards for the Jets, 339 for the Browns, 64 plays to 47. Um, Net rushing yards, 172 to 53. 167 passing yards to 135. Now the penalties, this is where you can tell it's it was a true JV game. Let's not mistake that. It's an absolute JV game. It was 12 penalties for the Jets to 10 for the Browns. The Browns had a couple turnovers to the Jets, one. And then lastly, 
Uh, Browns had 11 more minutes time of possession. So that stood out from a player perspective. Felton had seven carries, 46 yards and a touchdown. John Kelly, 10 for 42. And to wrap up the running backs, Hassan Hall went five for 34. Quarterbacks rushing, Dorian Thompson Robinson went six for 36. And then Kellen Mond went uh, one carry for two yards. Mond went 13 of 19, 92 passing yards and a touchdown. Thompson Robinson, eight for 11 for 82 yards. Cedric Tillman led the receivers with two catches for 35. Austin Watkins also had two for 35 and a touchdown. John Kelly, four for 27 and a score. Zyra Mitchell-Payton, who looked competent to me at times, three for 22. Mike Harley had two for 18. Uh, Greeny, the tight end, had 15 yards on three catches. Felton had nine yards on two catches. Schwartz had the singular hitch route. He also fumbled his one rush for seven yards. David Bell had two catches, six yards, and then Daywin Baldwin was targeted but ended up dropping a ball on the left sideline. Uh, Tony Fields had six tackles. Charlie Thomas, five. Um, uh, Bubba Bolden had four. Uh, Mahmoud Diabite had three. Lorenzo Burns, my cousin, had three. I'm just kidding about that. But uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe we are related somewhere down the line. Siaki Ika had a couple tackles. Kunizik, two, and a lot of guys had two. So, uh, listen, let's go through performance-wise. So, here's what I'll say, Andrew. I dug up the the data and... Uh, offensively, uh, I wrote about it, right? I don't know if you had a chance to look at it because uh, this is a weekend and it gets a little tricky. I did write about the changes and I talked about those in the podcast for people that if they wanted to hear that. Um, but the, I wrote it up and put it in front of you, the visualization of it. I hopefully can, you can see it as a, as somebody now watching the game, this difference in shotgun run and how much that impacts everything. They ran seven true inside zone runs when they ran 25 of them the entire season last year. If they keep that pace up, they'll be among the highest volume inside zone teams. And they were pretty good, man. They ran 7.2 yards per carry on inside zone. I was encouraged by it. Did you, did you, uh, having stepped back and looked at the rant that, uh, idiotic rant that I went on, was it, was it, <laughs> is it catch your eye? Do you see kind of where I'm coming from with this and how this can help them? Yeah, I I mean, yes, I, I was watching for it during the game like you with maybe not quite the same critical eye, but it was the it was to me the big unanswered question coming into the game. And and one of the things that has changed for the Browns is that they now have a bunch of athletic quarterbacks in the Deshaun Watson mold so that there really is only one offense. Right. And so that all this I, I consider all of the stuff that they did during this game, all stuff that, you know, is sort of the the basis, the foundation of what they can do with Watson. It's not like it's going to change with him. So mm-hmm. to me, it, it's, it's a green light for all of the questions that we had. And, and I, you know, I, I still think that there's some level of, you want to see it in a game that matters, right. And you want to see how versatile and how uh, diverse they are with that uh, rushing attack, but also like the stuff that they can build off of it against a real, NFL opponent in a game that matters. I mean, it's an AFC North game even more. Uh, and that will confirm it. But we were saying all offseason, we won't know until we know, right? Uh, and I think this is the first kind of hint behind the curtain. This is the first sort of glimpse glimpse of 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 what's to come. And I think it it, you know, it really portends good things. Now, you know, I don't want to say like I, I'm not saying that this is going to be on the same level as when Robert Griffin you know, took the field for the Redskins in 2012, you know, the Washington franchise, I guess I should say. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, with Kyle Shanahan as offensive coordinator and they just nuked the entire league, uh, with that offense, but there is, there is the potential for a similar thing because the book 
on Kevin Stefanski doesn't have any of this in it, right? And so mm-hmm. if you're Lou Anarumo or any of the defensive coordinators on their early season schedule, how do you prepare for this Browns offense, right? And I think yeah. there's a chance that it just kind of goes like real big right away. There is a chance, and, I, and I'll tell you why. They still did things that they're good at. They've ran exactly. a couple pin-pull runs from the shotgun. They ran the ball from the gun 15 times. They also ran that really fun tight trips bunch power where it looks like everybody's running inside zone because it's gap down, gap down, gap down, and then you have a backside guard looping up around. Nobody home, 18-yard run. They're still able to do the things they've been comfortable doing, but as those edge players and your interior players get used to hey, I'm never really double teamed. All I have to do is fight the pressure of a gap down. Or if I see this guard pulling, I know where it's going. If you're the edge players, you're really just worried about playing edge-based run defense from the gun. I'm being specific. That changes things when you have to start concerning yourself with sort of that step down double team, fight off a double team and climb. Like that is that is challenging and it presents a different thought process for a defense. So I like it. And that's not even to mention all of the play action wrinkles, everything RPO based, all of the zone quarterback pulls, and you could do, you can do power reads and different. The Browns did some of it last year. If you recall, a really fun run from Deshaun Watson in that Washington game came on a pin pull concept where they just read the backside end and he leaks out the, the, the left side of that scheme for 17, 18 yards. So like there's just an abundance of things that you can do with a guy like Watson. But for me, the foundation of just, hey, show us some goddamn inside zone because it's such a baseline thing that if you, it's almost like having no, like if you're in a passing attack, it's saying you can't run slants. Like they just, right. this, this offense doesn't run slants. They never do it. It's kind of the same thing. So yeah. them doing it, and again, it seems like I'm saying congrats for doing something basic, but it is just very different to Kubiak's baseline. Putting that in, though, opens up abundance of options. Not to say they're not going to do They ran 21 outside zone runs in this game, too. They're going to do the things they've always done. Now, teams are getting better at defending the boot. We saw them run one play-action boot where Kellen Mond had, I believe, um, McDonald, McDonald the first, yeah. the, right in his face, the first-round yep. pick for the Jets. So it's, it's, um, it's give and take. They're going to mm-hmm. have to figure out some things under center, more straight drop play-action. They'll, they'll morph that stuff, but... Just like when Deshaun was in Houston, the the Texans had an under center element and some play action off of some wide zone stuff that he was pretty good at. So I think this is going to be really good for Nick. I think it's going to be really good for them finding answers. And um, I'm encouraged by their 11 personnel usage, which was at 42 of 61 offensive snaps. We're in 11. A great sign. I want to see more of that. Now, they played a lot of 12 because they wanted to get their tight end snaps and they don't want to give away. Yeah. everything here. I mean, they yeah. ran seven screens in the first half. I actually thought they were going to break the NFL record for screen passes in a, <laughs> in a half. But uh, yeah, so I think the last one, the Jets were like, all right, man, this is getting old. And they were just mm-hmm. kind of sitting on it. But uh, I know what Kevin's doing. He's trying to just get really good at screen games so that that feels so second nature for them. And it doesn't matter if the defense knows that they, they don't want to give away everything they're doing, but they do want to get their guys accustomed to the feeling of winning as often as you possibly can. So I understand yeah. what they're trying to kind of counterbalance there. So um, they did also, it's worth noting, they did add Miller Forrestal over the weekend. So they did bring in a tight end. We'll cover all of those transactions here at the end of this pod. We'll see if that ends up mattering um, to like, like some outcome where they keep a fourth tight end. I don't think it will. 
Um, but I, I, it's just something to monitor. They didn't run any 13 personnel in, in this game at all. They have never not done that in any preseason game data I have. They've always run some multiple snaps of 13 personnel, and then they got more dense with it in the regular season, but that's pretty rare for them to only run the sort of uh, 42, and then the others were all in 12 personnel. I don't mind an uptick in 12 personnel. Jordan Akins and David Njoku on the field together, yeah. it's a good vibe there. You can get you can get sort of uh, creative sometimes, too, with Harrison Bryant's alignment in there as well. Um, switch to defense, Andrew. So Let, what, let me jump, on, let me let me jump in on the Go offense. ahead, and then yeah. we'll, we'll talk about player grades uh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, just to your point about the inside zone stuff, it's not just that they're doing it, but I think the the, the concern was, are they going to kind of just hand wave at it? Like, oh, and we do a little bit of inside zone too, and it's fine. Or were they going to look like they were like prepared for it, that they were practicing it, that they understood that they needed to be good at it? And that was the part that was, that was important was that they were, they were good at it. They were sharp at it, right? You said 7.2 yeah. or whatever, right? Per rush. That's what matters because that tells you they've been practicing it. Right. So if they're practicing it, that means it's a big part of the game plan and it's it's coming. Right. So that yeah. that to me is the part that that jumps out is it, if you are taking what they had as an offense and adding that sort of make you wrong stuff that is so popular in college, right, where you're reading a defender and no matter what they do, you do the opposite. That is a it's an it's just another dimension. Right. And so. They haven't had that, and adding that, I think the the key for me is adding some of that stuff that is based on you know deception and getting numbers plus numbers in the run game is stuff that you usually see go all the way back to the Wildcat with Ronnie Brown. The reason that they did that was because the team, the offense overall wasn't good, right? The Browns already had a good offense, so if they're adding this deceptive layer on top of everything else that they do, now you're running inside zone, you know, reading zone with Deshaun Watson, who's one of the better zone read quarterbacks in the league, and Nick Chubb, who's the best running back in the league, right? So it's like, it's not that you're trying to elevate poor personnel with gimmicks. It's that you're trying to use every every scrap of anything in the playbook to give you an, an answer to what defenses are trying to do to you. It's 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 kind of like, before now they could only hit right-handed and now they're a switch hitter. It's kind of how it feels to me. Yeah, I think that's appropriate. I, I would say too, something else I noticed that I'd be remiss if I didn't point it out. The NFL has a, it's been a very controversial thing across football for years. As RPOs started to take advantage of the illegal man downfield rule and then the college level tighten that up. And what you mean is uh, what I want to be kind of spe specific about this is, you know, football defensively is taught by reading keys. If a guard does this, you react this way. If, if an offensive lineman blocks down or if he pulls, whatever, whatever, it's a whole orchestrated concept. And if linemen are blocking, the point of what makes RPOs difficult is these guys get engaged, but still the ball is being thrown. Now RPOs are predicated on quick decisions and the ball is out fast, but you would start to see these teams almost slow read it and get these linemen moving downfield. Now the college level started to tighten it up. How far you could get downfield. The NFL's rule is very tight. It's a one yard rule. You and cannot be one yard. They do, but they're not good at it. I still think they screw some of it up. So like you could tell, I could tell yesterday, uh, sorry, Thursday that the Browns were doing some things where they're clearly not trying to push too far downfield. So what I mean by that is there were a couple reasons. I think that a lot of what they're going to do on RPO stuff 
like inside zone as we're getting sort of semantic here is a very tight a gap read you're going to read this player that you're going to read the one tech or you're going to read different teams teach it different ways who they want their back to read but the point of it is it's a very downhill run some stuff on wide zone is a little bit of a wider read it's a b gap read now outside zone is a bit different it's more of an outside c gap stretch what what i mean by that is what you can do with RPO stuff is you can do a little bit more of what's like, like some teams kind of call it a, they just call it wide zone. Some people teams label it tight and wide. Um, you can, you can have like, if you look at how teams run outside zone, Andrew, like they won't, they won't be downfield. They're almost lateral stepping and that allows you to stay engaged and block and sell a bit mm-hmm. longer while still fitting inside that one yard halo so I think the Browns are trying to find the best of both worlds where they where the linemen are understanding how far, like getting a feel for that, how far they can be downfield, the timing at which the ball can come out. And I, I didn't have them, me personally, I didn't have them any read, any RPOs in this game. I didn't right. expect that, but they're getting a feel for that. I think they will do it more as they get the, the starters and, and primary backups out there playing because teams who do that are not afraid. Like I remember last year, the, None of the starters played in the Eagles game, but Gardner Minshew kept throwing RPOs nonstop. Like if that's going to be a core of who you are, it doesn't really matter if you run some of it in preseason because teams are just going to know like, hey, this is something they're like we're talking about it. Other teams are aware of it, too. We're we're not geniuses here. So I just think that I'm paying attention to what the sort of staples of their play action and RPO stuff are so that I can understand how they're trying to manipulate their offensive linemen to not break any of those downfield rules. So something I'll be paying attention to uh, a, a little bit more. So uh, grades wise, the top of the grade charts riddled with offensive linemen, Colby Gossett, Wes Martin, Michael Dunn, James Hudson, all graded above 83. Dorian Thompson Robinson gets your high quarterback mark with an 81.7. That feels pretty appropriate to me. I thought he played a really good game. Some minor issues, some, some, some throws were just a little off, but overall he had some great throws against chaos and played well. Austin Watkins leads your skill players outside of the quarterback position with an 80.8 and 26 snaps. You need to pay attention to some Austin Watkins the rest of preseason, Andrew. It's mm-hmm. a pretty clean route running from him. But then again, you're riddled with more offensive linemen. Luke Whipler, Hunter Thedford, Nick Harris, Dewan Jones, and Drew Forbes all sort of at the top of the, of the listing here. Um, not any surprises to me there uh, at all. I thought Hunter Thedford had some issues so his pass blocking grade was a 23.6 yeah so that, i was gonna say he, he apparently run blocked really well and and was a, an absolute liability and he got cut so i think that kind of tells the whole that story does answer, that doesn't answer the the uh analysis question don't need to dive <laughs> deeper than that uh at the bottom of the group kellen mon grades yeah. at a 36 it was rough yeah thomas greeny the tight end and again they added miller forrestall so they're looking to try to solve some things mm-hmm. Nate McCreary didn't play well. He had a 44.6, but only four snaps. It was tough to really give him like a definitive game performance. He did get cut. I did not know that. He was one of them. Okay, Zaire Mm -hmm. Mitchell-Payton is above Anthony Schwartz. So Mitchell-Payton's at a 50, pass block pretty well, didn't run block also well. But they they seem to be wanting to develop him as a practice squad Mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. Anthony Schwartz might have sealed his fate. I think his fate's been sealed for a long time. They're just sort of running the rookie contract. He's not going to make the roster. And, you know, 61 snaps, though. That's the that's the part to get a 44 grade. And you played, you know, Dewan Jones played the entire game 74. So Anthony Schwartz was on the field for almost every series. Yeah. Took 13 plays off and, and came up with a 44 against mostly third team players. It's it's just I mean, you said it on the postgame show and I it is it's. I'm, it's mean, but it's true. 
he's not an NFL football player. No, he's not. And he should go run. He can make money doing other things and he should exactly. consider it because yeah. the, the little parts of the position that you have to do are just yeah. like, I don't think a guy like him who has genuinely great speed should be toiling around on practice squads. Like, I don't Agreed. think that makes sense. It's like he can't track a deep ball. Like all the elements are just missing. So yeah. uh, you'll have that anyway. The rest of the fifties are some guys who played a little, some guys who didn't. I mean, David Bell's if, and again, that's just the, the, pro football focus like baseline you were out there and you're fine you did what you right. were supposed to do grade um we'll move on from those grades I, I don't think there's anything else offensively to go crazy about i just thought they played really well up front indicative of um you know sort of their performance and protecting the quarterback and obviously being able to run for uh, you know 180 yards the way they did i thought it was overall really really impressive stuff from them and and some guys specifically deserve a, sh- a shout out maybe that's uh, something you want to do here andrew yeah, I just, I just, just a few like kind of loose ends here. I, I thought, uh, you know, Cedric Tillman graded out lower than I would expect. I, you know, I, I struggled to kind of get. He did have one of those. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but he no, did have one of those penalties, and they do get harsh on penalties. He yeah. was one of the right. uh, covered up um, illegal yes, formation yeah. Uh, yeah. penalties. Yeah, just just saying that you know sometimes the I think we both agree that the PFF grade is a tool, but it's not the be all end all. So. You know, yeah. Felton and Tillman were two guys that I thought contributed and showed a lot of promise, but their grade didn't necessarily reflect that. I think it's more mm-hmm. about our vision for where those players are headed in this system than necessarily what they did on Thursday night. The other player I just want to talk about very briefly is Dewan Jones because he graded out really well. He's been kind of the talk of the game, I think, uh, in terms of like, you know, high, like high hopes and, and kind of where the expectations have gone. Obviously DTR, but I think we all know I mean, we definitely all know who the starting quarterback is. So there's not like a lot of, you know, there's not a lot that really can happen with him other than making the roster, which I think we both think he's definitely going to do. The The Dewan Jones stuff is about can he contribute, maybe not this year, but next year as a tackle if they needed him to. And a lot mm-hmm. of that conversation has turned now to, well, can he go to left tackle? And I think in the modern NFL, the right tackle and the left tackle are really much more even than they ever have been in terms of their importance. So if what the Browns have in Dewan Jones is the replacement for Jack Conklin, I know that Jed Wills is probably more of a question mark, but long-term from a franchise value perspective, finding your right tackle of the future in the fourth round is a huge win for them. And so I'm not interested in trying to move him around a bunch to see what he can do. I thought James Hudson also looked good. So yeah. to me, just like lock him in as the Jack Conklin replacement. And listen, Conklin has struggled with injuries. That might happen this year. I mean, I hope it doesn't, but that might happen this year. I'm not in the camp of moving him around. I don't want Dewan to be your swing tackle. I want him hyper-focused on how to be the best right tackle he can possibly be. Now, he can do it in a pinch. He did it at Ohio State in a pinch. But I would I would like to, and it feels like they're going to focus him in on being a right tackle. And then, you know, James Hudson can continue to refine his skill at left tackle. And and who knows what Jedrick Will's season will look like. It could be a it could be a total wild card in terms of who's fighting for that job down the line. You really never know. So, right. um, OK, let's let, put a bow on offense again. Yeah. Not much to learn. We'll continue to deep dive these uh, as best we can and, and give you insights on them. And I think we did a pretty decent job but the Browns only ran two true shotgun play action plays they ran five of shotgun plays sorry under center play action concepts that weren't screens so uh, they sprinkled in some but very very vanilla is the overall point defense um you know they 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 
played a lot of too high. They played a lot of single. They played no quarters, which is a change. Joe Woods liked his quarters coverage. So not having any quarters out there was uh, pretty interesting. They played a lot of cover three, about an equal amount of cover three and an equal amount of cover. They played 22 man snaps in this game. Cover one. That's a massive uptick. They're not hiding it, and they're already showing it, that they're going to do it. So that, to me, stood out from a check-the-data perspective. They sat in a lot of nickel. They played some base. They matched any time the Jets put on a second big body in 12 personnel. They'd run a, you know, they'd run the third linebacker on the field. And uh, Diabite played some Sam. They played Tony Fields at some Sam as well. So they're not afraid to, to bring those guys in and play multiple linebacker positions. So that's encouraging. Uh, from a snap count perspective in this one, Diabite led the entire defense with 42. I think I like him. I, th- I think there's something there. He looks really good in uniform. Like he looks like an athletic player. Mm-hmm. Um, he graded fine. I mean, the run defense stuff wasn't perfect, but the coverage stuff was pretty strong from him. Tony Fields played 34 snaps. And again, Tony Fields, I thought, was electric in the first half covering the run. I thought he was really, really effective mm-hmm. uh, stepping up, filling gaps, and, and he made a couple really nice effort tackles. Uh, the only other person above 30 snaps was Caleb Biggers, um, which I don't have much to say. He graded out pretty well. Coverage of an 82.1. Um, you know, we'll see. Can he keep replicating that? You, Some of these guys, I felt a lot of these guys out there were fighting for practice squad job, jobs in the secondary. The only one that stood out that I think will have a chance to have a pretty significantly meaningful role is um is uh, Cameron uh, Cameron Mitchell who I thought in 26 snaps played really well he graded out well his coverage marks were good he had a he had a really nice play on a third down there from the slot jumping that speed out that the Jets tried to hit really quickly so I like that snap from him uh, otherwise big grades defensively Bubba Bolden had a 93 uh, I thought he played pretty well. He wasn't challenged a lot, like he didn't have a target and he had a couple tackles, but as far as being in the right place when he needed, he needed to be, um, you know, he was he was in the right spot. He's another Bishop Gorman guy. That's mm-hmm. that's an, another uh, fun wrinkle, you know, add to DTR and Tillman. He was more, Bolden was, I think, more with the Tate Martell Gorman uh, teams. So I don't know what Tate's on his 12th college team at this point, but um you know, Bubba's an interesting name to watch that many people have not talked about in the secondary. Um, AJ Green graded out really promising. And then Alex Wright had a really strong grade in this one as well, including two stop tackles. And again, he's wearing number 91. He's switched numbers a couple times. I think he's been paid twice this offseason to switch out of <laughs> uh, switch out of numbers. So um, that's that's uh, that's always good for a young guy to get a payday, right, from some of these guys coming over and taking that number. But again, a reminder, he's in 91. The other guy who caught my eye was Sam Kamara. Mm-hmm. Who's an edge? Played twenty five snaps, but he played some DT snaps too with a strong anchor. Yep. So he's he graded near seventy. Yeah, he looked really, really competent in this mm-hmm. one, and he had some flash plays with effort mm-hmm. and some really strong. Like I said, an edge going inside. You don't think that they're going to anchor at the line of scrimmage very well, but I thought he did. Yeah. I thought he did a pretty, pretty nice job. Charlie Thomas had an eighty five point four run grade, including three mm-hmm. tackles, two stops. Like i was impressed i thought he moved pretty well we'll see when these guys get some snaps against some more big boys like the thing we failed to mention about dewand on the offensive side in hudson is they played yes like the best jets tremaine johnson um bryce huff mm-hmm. and will mcdonald those yeah. were who they were blocking early in the game so those are like the real guys now i don't think the jets played many offensive people that matter in the game but uh, I, again, you're taking this for what it's worth. You just, you want those guys to play pretty well. And I, and I thought they did yeah. uh, at the bottom of the grade chart, uh, Michael Dwumfor, Lonnie Phelps. And I didn't think Lonnie looked nearly as explosive as I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised Thomas Graham because he got beat deep for a, 
yeah. 57-yard completion that he would grade poorly, but now the injury and injury designation, he is no longer in the equation as they let him go. Uh, Maurice Hurst, not encouraging. Really disappointing. disappointing. 19 snaps. Um, Isaiah McGuire um, missed a, he He was in a couple plays. I liked some of his efforts, but he missed a couple tackles, which hurt his overall grade. Siaki Ika gets um, a 52.8. I thought Siaki was really immovable at the line of scrimmage, and I thought he actually played the run well. He was an absolute non-factor against the pass, mm-hmm. which is who I thought he would be. Again, super early can develop, but he if he's at least in 25 snaps a game, an immovable force down near the line of scrimmage in the run game, that's what they want out of him. So mm-hmm. the hope is that he can continue to be that. I thought Jordan Elliott was Jordan Elliott, the mm-hmm. same old non-factor to me. I did not like as far as talking interior performances, just a sh- big shoulder shrug. Like he's yeah. just, he's not, he's not in any way anchoring the way you would love. He doesn't do anything above the ordinary uh, telling. It was telling like you and I had said in the post game that, that he's even playing in this game. They have to sign another defensive tackle. They have no chance. They have no choice at this mm-hmm. time, Andrew, but to bring mm-hmm. somebody else in as a defensive tackle. Um, otherwise, Tommy Togiai had some moments. I'll give him credit. He was a disruptor in the run game and he had a couple really strong bull rushes. He had one rip move that I really liked too. He ended up getting two pressures, two hurries, and he had a batted throw. So if I'm going to be hard on Tommy Togi, I'm going to call him out for the right things when he plays well. And I thought he played really well in this one and helped his current status. Now against the run, I still don't think he's just not big enough Mm -hmm. against the run to be a factor against the run. So uh, I thought the run defense grade down at a 44.2 was pretty appropriate in my opinion, but he did have efforts in the past. Now, if he could be a pass sub player, Right. Maybe less early down stuff that would be promising, mm-hmm. but I I don't love the the ability for Tommy to be a, a multifaceted defense. Just again, it's a size thing. I just don't ever feel like I see enough size from him to be able to handle that sort of uh, as a consistent part of things. But I kind of covered it. Not they did not they blitz like three times. I think is what they have him charted at. They did throw one late, right? They threw that yeah, they late to. blitz to try to to make sure they won the game. But they didn't blitz much. They played a lot of cover one. They played two snaps of cover six which is quarter, quarter, half in the back end. Um, very has been in shorts talked about that, Andrew, before the game that they're mm. not worth like, They said, we're no, we're not ready for week one. We're just not ready. Yeah. But this is, you know, guys getting uh, some, some very basic vanilla snaps. And um, as far as like a, a different feel, I thought the linebackers felt different, right? I thought that was obvious. And I thought that the secondary coverage stuff from getting a wider view in the 20, all 22, they were aggressive. We'll see if that continues to translate. I, I'm encouraged uh, by what they did defensively in this game. Do you have any thoughts on players specifically? Yeah, uh, I mean, I echo your your sentiments on Jordan Elliott. Um, and I'm I'm. It's going to take a little bit more for me to kind of get back on the Tommy Togiai train. I, I think the defensive tackle situation. You know, Michael Drumfor was the the lowest graded defensive player. He only played 13 snaps. But Maurice Hurst not showing up. It just it. We know that Siaki Ike is a rookie. I don't think you can count on him for anything other than some some early down run snaps. Dalvin Tomlinson, you know, our Jack Duffin has been great about talking about how Tomlinson plays 50 to 60% of the snaps every year. He's not going to give you 80% of the snaps like Miles Garrett does. So where are the rest of these snaps coming from right now? It's just, it's an to me, it is an open question. And I know that we think that the scheme is going to help some, but 
I, I, I remain, you know, there's a reason Shelby Harris was here. I, I remain concerned about how they're going to put this together at defensive tackle. Uh, you know, and, and I, I would just say that I hope that they get a little creative in terms of like, you mentioned Sam Kamara playing some, some defensive tackle snaps. Like let's, let's try that rather than, you know, trying to see if we can make Tommy Togiai a thing in his third season. Like I, I just need to see a little bit more movement in that, that room, right? We need to be finding solutions. Tristan Hill is out hurt. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's some, there's still concerns there and I know that it's going it, to, it almost can't be as bad as it was last year, but it was historically bad last year. So it, it they still need to go a bit to get to, to average where is I, where I think they want to get to. I don't, I don't think they ever want to be great against the run. They don't want to build the team that way, but I think they, they still need to go a bit to get to being average against the run. And so that's, Sort of my primary concern is just I'm I just still am not seeing how that room comes together at this point. Uh, other than that, I mean, you mentioned Bubba Bolden, and uh, I just was talking about Sam Kamara. The interesting thing about both of those players is that they are not first year players. They are not they are UDFA's, but they are not first years, right? They've bounced around. Mm-hmm. Bubba Bolden was with the Seahawks through all of camp last year. Uh, Sam Kamara has been on I think on one or two different teams, and I think maybe played in one of the developmental leagues. So. Those guys are a little bit further along in their career trajectory, and I wonder if that gives them a little bit of a head start or a you know a, an inside track to potentially getting a roster spot. I do think it was interesting that um, you know, uh, I mean, DeAnthony Bell played and played well, so you know, I, but I think if if you're handicapping that safety room, I you know we've we've given a lot of, I think because of their Ohio state players, Tanner McAllister and Ronnie Hickman have gotten a lot of sort of push to be that fourth safety. Uh, but I, I almost wonder if a player like Bubba Bolden or the incumbent DeAnthony Bell makes more sense just because they've been in the league a year already. So they kind of know how it works a little bit more. So um, mm-hmm. I, I think overall, my thought is just Jake that I, there's some names on the list looking at guys that got snaps that I'm just kind of tired of seeing. <laughs> and I want to, I want to see, I, you know, it's like the Anthony Schwartz thing on offense, but for like three guys. And I just want to start to see different names because I, I, I just am not, it feels like we're spending a lot of time trying to make these guys happen. And I understand it, right? You, you've got rookie contracts, they're, they're cost effective, but this is a conversation that we were having last year. There are other players on rookie contracts that are going to get waived that, that would be just as cheap as uh, Tommy Togiai would be. So I just want to see, I want to see them try it with somebody else because it's a new defensive system. So there's not the incumbent status for these guys that there was last year, right? Where you bring Jordan Elliott back, it's like, well, at least he knows the system. That's not true anymore. He's at the same point as any of these other guys. So, you know, just I I, I need to see a little bit more change there. And, you know, they have not, since camp started, they have not made a move of substance. They've swapped end of the roster guys to balance it for training camp purposes, but they have not brought any other players in like that are veteran players, difference makers in the, just in the sense of like having a chance to make the 53, they haven't added anybody in my mind. I mean, Austin Watkins showed a little bit, but that's about as far as it goes. So yeah. I'm just curious if they're going to do that. And if they are, when that's going to happen. Yeah. Hopefully soon. I think it's, it's fair to still be concerned about a lot of the things that we've shared concern about. I mean, they've, we, we like, we're talking about offensive evolution as a main focal point and that's great. And we're, and, and we, we are really kind of, and, and feeling like they're in a potentially better spot offensively. But these, mm-hmm. again, these are JV players, right? Like, yes. 
These are these are not guys who are really supposed to matter to the year. Now, I think we learn less about the defense and the offense outside of the fact that you're going to get a lot more man coverage, which I like, I, I prefer, but you, you, we just didn't learn much about the defense. So hopefully that comes. They performed well, mm-hmm. but we'll see if that uh, uptick of, of understanding what they're going to be uh, comes over the next three weeks, which I, I wouldn't expect it. We won't we, it'll be about week four before we really feel like we have a firm grasp on that stuff. But I don't think they did anything to alleviate concerns. I mean, Jordan Elliott didn't help himself. Maurice no. Hurst didn't help himself. Right. You know, so again, I don't I don't think there's some gigantic answer coming out. of it. And we, we really didn't expect that. But there's to the point where there's still some concerning spots that you do hope that they can find some uh, some solutions to in the coming in the coming I guess days or weeks and, and they've made some moves. I want to kind of go over those real quick. Um, so initially there was a slew of moves that happened. I think it was, was it Friday that those moves happened? So yeah. Um, yeah. Friday. Uh, so they announced some moves. They, they ended up signing cam bright. Uh, they brought back and we referenced earlier Miller Forrestal, and then they brought in wide receiver Jalen Wayne because they had to put Dalen Baldwin as an injury designation um, mm-hmm. cut. So, and they also let go of, Joseph Charlton, the second punter, uh, which is a little earlier than I anticipated them doing that, but nonetheless, yeah. they let go of Nate McRae, um, like you had mentioned, and then Hunter Thetford also was let go. So uh, they, like we said, brought in Cam Bright. He played at Washington, 13 games in 2022. He's a UDFA guy here. I spent four years at Pitt as well, uh, compiling 242 tackles, 25 for loss. We'll see. He's going to wear number 49. Uh, Forrestal yeah. has already, like we said, been here. Um, don't need to go through Miller Forrestal again. Alabama product is just kind of fine. It's just kind of an NFL depth tight end. And then yeah. Jalen Wayne is actually the cousin, right? Is he the cousin of Reggie right. Wayne? Yes. All right. So, you know, that's great. Uh, mm-hmm. Originally signed by the Bills as a UDFA in 2023 here before now coming to Cleveland. South Alabama product, 152 catches, 1,980 yards, and 14 touchdowns as well. So he'll wear number 31, which is a very unique – yeah. Wide receiver number. Yeah. Uh, for, for him. Um, and, and then, then today, the, yeah, go ahead. You got it. You got it. I was just going to say what you're yeah. going to say. Great. Yeah. So they added in a couple more pieces. They put Thomas Graham on the, uh, injury designation. So they brought in corner Gavin Heslop second season out of Stony Brook. We'll talk about Stony Brook football a lot on this podcast. So Stony Brook shout out. He's with the Seahawks is UDFA in 20. He's been around the league. A lot of practice squad experience, Seahawks and Panthers. And then they brought in a line because we know they had to play, um, you know, they had to play Dewan Jones largely because Tom uh, Tyron Wheatley was hurt yep. and they didn't have anyone else. So they brought in uh, Derek Kelly uh, out of Florida state. who's been around the league a little bit. Um, I think he was with the saints as a UDFA in 2019. He's had a couple of live action, regular season moments, but very brief, uh, seven games, saints, giants spent 22 season with the practice squad of the saints. And then was in the XFL with the San Antonio Brahmas Brahmas. Am I saying that right? The San yeah, Antonio. You're nailing it. Brahmas. There we go. Mm-hmm. All right. So that covers all of their moves. The only thing we can talk about is special teams. Now, yeah. if your JV is typically your special teams and your JV is playing all the other things, it's it's pretty it's pretty obvious that they're going to struggle on special teams a little bit. They gave up a long kick return, which yep. you never want to see. Cade York did make a tackle. So, you know, there you go, Cade. Balance out your missed kick. We're still concerned about Cade York. That hasn't changed since since the uh, post-game coverage well, we kind of referenced it. We're talking about roster moves. Is one that we talked about in the post-game was, do they need to bring somebody in as competition? And It's a thing I would be doing. I really would. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you do kind of have the ability to add a kicker any time, right? Because there's not, there's not like scheme familiarity. It's just, you know, it's just a golf swing. 
But at the same time, I, I, I feel like part of this, and, and maybe this isn't how to motivate Cade York, but part of this needs to be him understanding where things are at at this point. Cause it's just, it can't happen. Period. No, he's, he's done so little to inspire confidence yeah. in him. So I would be just making sure over these now three preseason games that he understands that this is, this is a seat. Like I cannot imagine having everything riding on this season and you're saying, well, we need to be patient with Kate. Like this is no. the risk you take when you draft a kicker that yep. they're, that they're already good enough to come in and kick right from day one, because you cannot be patient with it. You can't. So it's, it's, (laughs) we don't need to spend time going over something we've gone over, but this is the biggest reason that it's risky spending a premium fourth round pick on a player. Right. That because they're, they're tied to him, right? If he was a, if he was a UDFA, he would have already been cut. Uh, Yes. He's a fourth round pick. So he gets a second year, but he has to be on his basically last, try here even in the preseason right i mean he was he was perfect from what i understand through practices in in both west virginia and then in berea hadn't missed a kick and then goes out and and it's like we're not talking about like oh he, he skimmed an upright and it bounced out no he, he missed that badly from 49 it didn't have a chance because of that late movement which again indicates i know you just said we shouldn't go over something we've already gone over but it indicates that there's something still fundamentally wrong if you're if you're getting half of it, half of the ball flight is straight, and then half of it is yanking hard to the right, you don't have a swing. Yeah, he's in. I think the thing I continue to notice, and I had recently sent you a podcast he was on. Yeah, uh, I I don't think he's able to handle the pressure. I I just have some uneasiness about. I agree. That this guy is stepping out there and playing with confidence mm-hmm. every every single time he kicks because so much of that position yep. is just. Right, level-headed and confident, and I just mm-hmm. get a little uh, uneasy that he has that very vital element to his ability. Because again, yeah. he—if you put him in the Greenbrier, you put him in Berea, he will wow you with right. what he can do. He right. will wow you. Right. So again, I hate to keep harkening back to golf, but like you put some unbelievable golfers in a normal course or on a driver, it's like that guy has to be the best player in the world. And then they get out there and there's a you're on the 17th fairway and you right. can't do it. They some right. of them just can't can't do it. Um, and it's I just like Zane Gonzalez a few years ago. It may very well be that the Browns have to move on and he goes someplace else and has a long NFL career. It's that, you know, it's possible. Kickers are mysterious, right? Because a lot of it is psychological. But it, it, that can't you can't live in fear of that outcome. So if they need to move on, there are there are teams that have kicking competitions going on so there are going to be kickers available if you, yeah. if you need to move on you need to move on and i agree with you 100 percent. there is no reason that you would be flawless through camp and then miss one badly in a game unless there was something between the ears so as far as grades go for other players thomas greeny had a nice grade and eight snaps charlie thomas who is yeah. a dark horse and, yep. and diabate both those udfas graded mm-hmm. really strong with 18 snaps apiece, which tells you these guys are on almost every specials yeah. group. Those guys led the team in special team snaps. Exactly. Uh, right there with Tanner McAllister, but McAllister did not grade as well. Again, I'm not totally fundamentally perfect with how they're judging grading. I think that what they're looking <laughs> at is, again, like if you look at all these grades, they're pretty much a 60, which is right. kind of just doing your job. Right. I thought there were a couple snaps for Greeny and 
um, you know, and Charlie Thomas and Diabate where they stood out for either beating somebody down the field and being the first to arrive and dictate direction of return or beating as a gunner, beating somebody downfield as well. So I thought those were fair. There were missed tackles. Lonnie Phelps missed one. Uh, Nate McCray missed one. Uh, Lorenzo Burns missed one as well. And those, there was another long punt return that happened up the left sideline that Lorenzo Burns missed a tackle as a gunner that led to that long return. So um, food for thought. But these special team snaps are vital for some of these yeah. guys trying to make the roster. And I know Bubba Bolden was probably so cringy on the sideline as there were you know, big mistakes, but I have to kind of go back to like, if your guys are playing and they're trying to focus on defense and offense, because that's what they do. Yeah. The special teams guys are going to suffer because it's just a secondary part of what they're doing. So again, some JV, JV games in that yep. sense. So not surprised by that outcome at all, but they were the worst special teams of the two teams on the field Thursday night by a yeah. pretty wide margin. In my yeah, they struggled. So, all right. Anything else before we close this hall of fame edition, Andrew? Well, I, yeah, I, the only other thing that, you know, I neglected to mention earlier, and I, I just, it was a little nugget that, that was dropped on the, the Cleveland Browns Daily uh, Hall of Fame game wrap-up on Friday, was Nathan Zagura was talking about his concern with David Bell. And uh, it's a player that we didn't really talk about post-game or today. Um, and I was just looking at the special team snaps and, and was reminded of it because he's on some of the specials. And it is interesting for a third-round pick last year to – I mean, it's it's not the it's not a repeat of the Anthony Schwartz conversation, right? Because he can do. David Bell has the tools. It's not a it's not a question of whether or not he can go out and play wide receiver. He can. It's a question of whether or not he's he's ever going to be sort of a difference making player. I think, and it doesn't bode well. And this is the point that Zagura made. It doesn't bode well when, uh, uh, you know, a player that's a third round pick that played a lot for the Browns last year in the regular season doesn't show up really um in, in in a preseason game against lesser competition now i think one component of that is that he played i think entirely in the first half when kellen mond was the quarterback so yeah. i would like to see david bell on the field with josh dobbs or dtr because i that's another one where we're kind of getting close to writing his name in marker for the for the roster and i it's just i'm not sure hundred percent what he's bringing to the table. Now there's a reliability factor in terms of being where he's supposed to be, but that I, you know, I, I just, we're talking about across the board with this roster, trying to raise the floor a little bit. And I'm just not seeing from him and, you know, and I think we, we both listen to the, those guys on Cleveland Browns daily enough to know that they are mostly very positive. And so when, when Zagura is calling somebody out on their air, it always grabs my attention because they don't do it a lot, frankly. And so when it happens, it's it really makes me turn my head a little bit and say, oh, yeah, good point. There's a third-round pick that was out there against uh, you know Jets backups and third-teamers, and we didn't see much from him. Yeah, I think it's fair. I, I didn't um, – I don't know how many routes he ran in this game. Uh, I certainly am going to want to check that as we're, as we're talking through it. I can pull that up pretty – uh, pretty quickly he had two targets he ran 16 routes there was one throw he caught a simple uh, out of empty he caught a little six yard hitch uh, sort of settling over the tackle box and then another time the jets brought a corner slot blitz and and uh mond threw it very poorly late behind him yeah so yeah there's not much here um i don't think he was the target on the on the interception throw that mond had but yeah so it, again you're paying attention to it. Maybe that's something Nathan is seeing a bit more in practice than we right. are. I'm going to go up and watch Sunday. Now, 
the weather looks pretty dicey Sunday night or Sunday day. I think they're practicing at like two o'clock. Weather doesn't look great. So I'll see if I'm able to actually watch. If they shifted inside, nobody can go watch outside of a credential meeting. I don't want to go get a credential because I like to sit in the bleachers and see from a high vantage point. So I will try to get there Sunday or Monday and try to have some examination on it. But I think that that's fair to point out about David Bell. I will say, um, most of us as we close here are going to be at the game on Friday. I think we're going to take the time to actually go up and watch uh, live. We very rarely do that. I know Andrew will be up there. I'll be up there and a lot of our other OBR guys. So we'll see about coverage. We'll keep you looped into what that will look like. I don't really know yet. It's going to be a bit of a chaotic weekend. So we'll let you know as the time gets here, but uh, that's the general plan. We'll have a fun week of pods this week. We'll continue our training camp preview slash reviews of positions. We'll get through those. And hopefully, like I said, when, when Sunday night and a recording and Monday night recording happen, I'll have some some unique on-site insights to give you about who I think was playing well and what it looks like uh, up there in person. So um, otherwise, hopefully you enjoyed the Hall of Fame edition we did here. Andrew brought some great stuff to the table. We appreciate you, man, as always. Always a pleasure, Jake. And we will be back. The, the OBR is running a 60%. We're extending the sale to 60% now. If you missed that window at 75%, it's at 60% right now. You can take advantage of that annual subscription. It's a great deal, great offer. So check that out. Otherwise, we have covered, I think, every angle we can cover from this game. We'll check back in with you. I'll probably get with Brad Ward for a Monday episode or something like that. or Sorry, a Sunday episode. And then uh, we'll get back with Andrew for something on Monday. But we'll continue to cover this team as best we can from every angle and and like i said hopefully have some camp insights along the way from being up there and watching it so thanks for stopping by again another huge congratulations to joe thomas and all of his uh family for for everything around his enshrinement into the hall of fame and if you missed that speech go back and watch it it's well worth your time to hear him talk about you know his career his time at wisconsin his family connections and he really gave his players that he played with and all of his coaches a lot of attention to is just a really cool speech so go check that out that's it for us today we appreciate you stopping by have a great saturday sunday or monday whenever you're listening to this again thanks for being here with the obr film breakdown that's all we have we're out of here go browns